Welcome to Season 2 of American Political History, The Second Wave, Editorial. There's a few things that I would like to discuss as we close out Season 2. First is the continuum of history. We often think as Americans that the Founding Fathers invented our system from nothing to something. But history is always in a continuum. The English Civil War was a fight over rights of a few thousand high lords. It is the political precursor of the American revolutionary spirit. And many in the American colonies were not thinking of outright rebellion and revolution from England. To begin with, they were pointing back to the English Civil War saying, we're just Englishmen demanding our full inheritance of rights. The restoration of the crown after the English Civil War was also something that the Founding Fathers looked at and had to come up with another way. Because for most Englishmen, the Civil War showed the need for a monarchy to avoid authoritarian dictators. What social compact of government besides monarchy would be able to deal with this problem of rising dictatorship? But I'm getting ahead of myself. We're still a hundred years from those events. The other oddity was that the turmoil in England directly pushed to the rapid growth of the English colonies in the New World. Only Virginia was initially a commercial venture like the Dutch and Spanish colonies. The English colony quickly became a refuge where whole communities immigrated. In New England, the Puritans and the Pilgrims, and Maryland, a safe space for Catholics. It is likely that the English would have had colonies much more in the mold of the New Netherlands without their 17th century of civil discord and war. Why else would someone leave to settle in the New World? Life in the New World was awful hard, even for the best of circumstances. And we and I am guilty of it, talk about history through the eyes of the powerful, generals, kings, nobles, and greats. And the powerful within a society are always reliant on the rest of society supporting them. We saw the hubris of them thinking that life would just be the same for elites in the new world. And if we were just tracking elites, we are as guilty of glossing over the details of this life ourselves. We think that the New World settlements were simply something like camping. Why was it so hard? But we are always surrounded in the mindset of modern supplies. We forget that our lives today are structured around medicine, technology, and wealth penetrating every aspect of our waking experience. The poorest person in the United States today is more wealthy than the richest people that lived in the New World circa 1640. One of those gentry who had thought he was going to come to live in that manorial luxury of Maryland, died a few years after arriving. His will listed all of his worldly possessions. A few ounces of tobacco, an assortment of farm tools, seven sets of clothing. How many are in your closet now? A gold ring, an old silver belt, a few books, a painting, a parcel of painted pictures, and a dozen napkins. And he owned a house with two rooms. The exact size of his house is unknown, but the biggest house in Maryland at that time was 52 feet by 20 feet. And this was the worldly possessions of one of the richest people in the colonies. 80% of people in the colonies owned no land and worked as servants, tenants, or indentured labor. By 1642, most of the initial indentureships in Maryland would run their course, with freedom dues to be paid out by the colony. Small tobacco plantations would sprawl unorganized in every direction. The poorest and the worst off got the lands furthest from the main colony. 
They're only opportunities on the very edge or sometimes amongst the native lands. They, the poorest, most taken advantage of by the elites, their only opportunity for prosperity would be right at the rift of cultures. And when hostilities broke out, they, the poorest, would be slaughtered in the initial acts of war. And we forget just how hard life was. A life they sacrificed six or seven years of brutally hard slave indentureship for just the opportunity at something they could own themselves. These scum of the earth, poor, street workers, vagrants, debtors, orphans, captured grunts in the English Civil Wars were sent as slaves. 15 to 30% of these people died in the first two years because of seasoning, and around 90% of indentured servants died before their seven-year term ended. For the population at large, one out of three infants died before their first year, 40% of the remaining population died before the age of 20, but for those that reached 20, they, they would have an average life to 46. Today, our average lifespan is 80 years, and that's qualified from birth. Servants would land in Virginia or Maryland, and be commoditized by skill, cost, and terms of indentured. The less skilled and the less defined the contract, the greater amount that indentured servant could be exploited. Let's give you some more stats, because it's hard for us to imagine the harshness of common life. Between 1640 and 1680, 40,000 people immigrated from England to Maryland. Accounting for births, Maryland only had a population of 20,000 by 1680. Around 100,000 Europeans immigrated to North America in the 17th century. But in 1700, the total populations of Europeans living in America was only 85,000, and that is counting all English born in the New World in the 17th century. Conditions were so harsh that the population was actually consistently shrinking without a constant stream of new immigrants from Europe. But let's bring this down from the high abstractness of population stats. The average marriage lasted nine years before one partner died. Half of all children lost one parent before the age of 15, a third had lost both parents by the age of 15, and three-quarters of all children lost one or more parents by the age of 21. Almost no one ever met their grandparents. A common person's house was a single communal room with beaten earthen floors, there might be a rolled-up mattress to share amongst the family. A table was very unlikely, just a trunk or chest for storage. Everyone had their bowl and spoon. Forks were unlikely. You simply used your hand if you needed a fork. Everyone slept in their clothes. Blankets were too expensive. There was no toilet, normally not even a latrine, just the side of the house or somewhere close by, and the smell would be awful in the summer and full of insects. And in the winter, it would be bitterly cold as homes had no insulation. And your prospects for wealth would be based on the rise and fall of tobacco markets in some far-off European economy. And just like today, when markets or weather are poor, the farmer always pays first. But in this bare-knuckle, hard-beaten world, another American culture was on the rise. Not of nobility or manners, no. There was a rising feeling that even though this life was hard, that my family might die if misfortune falls upon us, this is my scrap of land, my opportunity, my freedom. If you think you're going to come take this from me, you will have to pry it from my cold, dead hands. But history 
is rarely a narrative about all of these nobodies from nowhere that was important. Thank you for listening to Season 2 of American Political History. If you have any feedback, comments, or suggestions, please reach out and let me know. Thank you again for listening, and until next time.